Welcome to the Physician Associate Podcast. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Physician Associate Podcast. My name is James. Today I'm joined by two guests, Dr. Mark Steinberg, who's a managing partner of the GP surgery in North London with 11,500 patients, and his physician associate, Yinka Mustafa, who has three and a half years of experience working. Welcome to the show, both. Thanks Thank you very me. much. If we start with you, Mark, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and the practice that you're in? Uh, yes, so I've been at the practice for 20 years, uh, and I've seen a lot of changes in that time. Uh, one of the main changes was about five or six years ago, when it became much harder to employ GPs. Until that point, it was quite straightforward. Uh, GP colleagues would leave, and then there would be a pool of, of other GPs, newer GPs that we could take on. That became increasingly difficult. And there was uh, a widespread recognition that, that um, GPs largely were overwhelmed and undersupported and didn't really want to spend the majority of their time in primary care seeing patients. And it had become, unfortunately, rather a toxic environment. So it was a difficult position. This was about 2015, 2016, and we were finding it very difficult. The demand was going up and the clinical um, work, uh, the, the colleagues to do the work was, was, was largely absent. So then we became aware of a new type of, of uh, healthcare professional. It was a physician associate through, through colleagues at the St. George's PA school. Uh, and because PAs are trained within the medical model and they're skilled at clinical examination uh, as well as safe prescribing beyond just you know antibiotics, uh, they make much more natural bedfellows, as it were, to to GPs. So they settled with uh, my my colleagues very very well, and because I think they were well our. our I, our, our PAs are absolutely wonderful, but uh, you know their RPAs were particularly chosen, I think, because they had very good interpersonal skills, and that aspect of a clinician is, um, I would say, to patients more important than their clinical knowledge. There's almost a given rightly or wrongly amongst patients, that the treatment that they'll get will be right, the prescription will be right, and the referral will be right. And they don't, they don't talk to each other about uh, you know, the quality of, of the medicine that was practiced. They talk to each other about how nice the, the person that they saw was, how welcoming were they, how friendly were they, how well did they explain things, um, how much of an open door did I feel that I had coming back? These are the things that we feel that, that we feel that patients want in the feedback that we get, the patient surveys that we do. Um, and this is where the PAs consistently score highly. Their interpersonal skills are very good. Um, and the knowledge, the knowledge comes either through time and reading and supervisions uh, or, or, or it just gradually accumulates in the same way that it does with the doctor. And we took on our first PA in 2016, and they quickly became established as, as an excellent source of very high quality medicine. And really, we now cannot see uh, a life without PAs in our, in our surgery. They're very popular with the patients. Um, they have very good um, interpersonal skills and a very good deployment of medicine. 
And with certain baseline rules, I think that the practices adapted to, to accommodate PA successfully, uh, I think um, they are here to stay and here to to really make a significant contribution to healthcare delivery in the UK. Inka, were you that first PA that Mark was talking about, or did you come later? I wasn't. I was actually the third PA, so I came in 2018. Um, yes, I was the third PA to join the practice, but I am now the oldest PA, if that makes sense. So there were a couple of PAs ahead of you to get the ball rolling. What was it like coming into the practice? Was it um, your first job? It was my first job, so it was straight after qualifying. It was, I don't feel like I would have gone anywhere else, saying that in hindsight, I know it probably sounds very strange, but it was perfect, well supported from the get-go. Even at my interview, very relaxed. I just felt like, okay, this could work. Just really well supported. Um, we have regular contact with the partners. Um, they're always, they're very accessible. Mark, can I ask you a slightly uh, awkward question? There are some people I talk to, obviously I, I work in primary care as well, half my week um, as a PA. Some, not the people I work with, but further around our health system suggest that taking a physician associate straight out of school, out of university and putting them into GP practice, it's too soon, they're too green and they don't quite have enough experience. Is that a worry that you had in, in taking on physician associates? And how has that borne out in practice? I, I was enormously worried about that, actually. I mean, um, the work is extremely complex and carries a lot of risk, um, clinical risk, medical legal risk, reputational risk. We were very concerned that they may not be able to achieve what the task that, that we had set them out to achieve but it is a matter of mitigating the risks uh, with supervision and appropriate workload and also the personality is important as well I think uh, you've got to find a PA that matches the practice um, but you've also got to find a PA who is comfortable in primary care I haven't interacted a lot with PAs who've worked in secondary care, but I, I would imagine the environment is very different. It's much more structured and there's, there's a lot less latitude, a, a lot less um, ability to make autonomous decisions in secondary care. Essentially, you're told what to do. And, and for some people, that's a very a positive, structured environment that they respond to um, and they wouldn't have it any other way. Other people want to uh, grow their confidence, see cases, make autonomous decisions where they're not sure, um, use the safety net around them and seek advice. But there's, there's a bit more risk. There's, there's, there's a bit more spice, I think, in that. Uh, and some people respond to that. But that's the nature of primary care. It's an uncertain world. And you have to accommodate that. No matter how experienced you are, you're never going to be absolutely sure. So you have to find people that, that embrace the challenge, uh, but do so in a safe way and always looking to uh, improve their skill set. So I, I split my week half into GP and half into hospital. And I think what you've just said is, is very true. In hospital, I'm seeing perhaps different medicine and a lot sicker patients more acutely. But I'm usually told what the plan is from the consultant 
and, and doing that plan for them. In GP, you still see sick patients and you are on the acute end a lot of the time, but you're making those decisions more autonomously and independently yourself. So I think you've hit the nail on the head, definitely. And the personality suits some people better in, in different sectors. For a physician associate who comes into primary care new, what level of support do you, you think the employer needs to expect to give to support their physician associate as they start? And how does that change perhaps over your first three, six, 12 months? So initially, they probably need a lot of support, especially if it's their first job straight out of uni. But then it also depends on that individual and how they work and how much knowledge they have. Because obviously, we all go through the same course, but we some people take on a lot more information than others. So some people are able to deal with a lot more from the beginning, right from the beginning, whereas others are building on their knowledge as we go along. So I would say initially... Every employer should endeavour to offer a lot of support at the beginning. And as the PA progresses, so here we usually do about a month of orientation slash sitting in. Well, that's what we start off saying, but most of us don't usually tend to have to do the full month. So I think start off thinking that, okay, PA for the first month, we're going to see how things go. We're going to see their pace and just do it according to how that particular PA works. And as you said, as time goes on, as you progress through your career, you need a lot less support you need. But it's always good to have the support available when you need it. So uh, employers should not feel like, okay, so my PA is now two years in the business. They're not going to need me. I feel like they should always be available for when it's required of them to be available. I think everybody's journey here has been very different because we're all different individuals and we all, not all of us went to the same schools and we all have different attitudes to risks, ETC. We all have different structures to our day. So it all depends, but the ultimate message is be very supportive and be willing to be very supportive from the beginning and then see how that PA progresses. With physician associates in particular, they all have a different undergraduate degree. Exactly. Some some may have been scientists, some may have been healthcare professionals, some may have had completely different backgrounds, and they all bring different skills from that. Exactly. And obviously different personality types, as you were saying as well, and all have different interests. So it sounds as if in your practice, the PAs are used not in a sort of uniform way, but you're all developing your own niches, is that right? So not in a, well, yes and no. Um, so we all start off we all started off with face-to-face and telephone consultations. And then depending on your interests, yes, um, and the amount of days you work, you go on to, as Mark likes to say, get more strings to your bow. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, we all see patients, speak to patients. We all do home visits throughout the year. So you're carving yeah. out your own area, your own... Exactly. And that, that comes with time. And... Um, responsibility and experience really yeah mark was it is it fair to say then that there's a period of initial investment needed both in monetary terms but also in terms of supervisory time from senior colleagues in developing a PA initially yes yes uh I think there is uh, I think there is a period of initial investment but I think to make the the, the PA a success in the practice which of course will benefit the 
the partners and the patient population, the, the practice needs to think about some structural changes uh, to make it successful. So initially, I, I think about our first, our very first PA, and this was this was not a successful um, uh, recruitment. Uh, and then when we when we reflected afterwards, I mean the person was with us for about six months, and when we reflected on why it wasn't successful, we concluded that we had taken the traditional model of a GP, and we had applied that to the new PA who had started with us, because that's what we were all familiar with. And when I say the traditional model, I mean of a morning, they see patients, they see extras, they do results, they have letters, they have phone calls, and then they have uh, perhaps a very short break for lunch if, if they're lucky. And then, of course, we have an afternoon surgery with more phone calls, maybe a home visit as well. You would have an on-call day where the work would be maybe times two. Uh, and that's that's what the work was. That's that that was the workload. That was primary care. That's how it was defined. But that really went to the heart of why general practice was becoming toxic because it was becoming overwhelming. And that's why GP colleagues no longer wanted to do the work. Essentially, I think. I mean, the patients are by and large still a rewarding population to spend time with. They present in all sorts of usual and unusual ways with interesting pathology. So it's not that, it's the workload became overwhelming. So, so the structural changes we introduced was to regulate the amount of work that initially the PA team and then the whole team are expected to do in a day. And we have very rigid rules about uh, those, those PAs, for example, who have a morning session uh, seeing patients, they see those patients, they do not have any phone calls, they don't have interruptions, they're not expected to field um, home visit requests or any other work. Uh, and they can concentrate. And that way, they, they enjoy the surgery, they can focus their attention on the patients that they're dealing with. Um, and it's, it's a sustainable uh, workload without becoming overwhelmed and burnt out and, and leaving, because that's not what we want. Really, what we want is is essentially to, to, to train people, to, to allow them to gain the institutional knowledge so that they know which form, to where, where to refer to, um, which consultant is interested in this, all that sort of gritty institutional knowledge, which really aids the patient's journey through the system, which, of course, locums and, and brand new members of society simply don't have. And, and to keep that within the practice, I mean, it's pointless to train people up and to lose them. I mean, it's a terrible thing, such a waste. So one of the ways that, that we, we try and aid retention is by controlling the workload. And I think that's a very important structural change. And then what we noticed is that became so popular that we rolled it out to the other GPs and the other, uh, the other clinicians as well. And then, so in addition to the sustainable workload, you need the, the regular meetings and the open door so that you can give advice so patients aren't left to drift. But then, as Yinka was saying, we, we progress to the next stage, which is allowing the PAs to develop specialties in the surgery. And it, it transpires that all the jobs that were done by GPs are now being done very, very satisfactorily by the PAs. So Yinka is, of course, excellent infection control lead, child protection lead. 
We've got other PAs who do medical reports and uh, examinations for DVLA or um, insurance companies, fostering medicals, that sort of thing. Uh, we've got others who are getting involved in learning disability reviews. And, and of course, there are uh, the, most of the PAs do clinical document uh, material and look at clinical correspondence as well. So, so that I would say that was broadly our, our recipe for success. Yinka, one of the stumbling blocks for a lot of people when you, when you have conversations about physician associates is the lack of prescribing authority and the inability to request an x-ray if needed. In practice, how much of a barrier is that in your day-to-day work? I don't feel like it's ever been a barrier, simply because as a PA, even though you can't sign a prescription, you need to know what you're prescribing for each condition and each patient that you're seeing. You need to know how to treat them because it's part of the matrix. Um, and ordering x-rays, there are instances where you know an x-ray is required and you can speak to a doctor and make sure that gets done and get them to sign it. Um, with regards to prescriptions, um, COVID has made things easier in the sense that everything gets requested through um, the system. And prior to that, we had a system where you'd go with your prescription, basically interrupt the, the doctor's session, and they would sign it, look at it, ask any questions if necessary, um, and, and we'd return to our rooms and give our patients our prescriptions. So it's, it's always been a smooth process. There have never been any hiccups. There have never been any obstructions. Um, so it's, it's never really been a problem. Yeah, in practice, that's what I find as well. It's not really a barrier too much would you agree with that absolutely absolutely um pre-pandemic exactly as yinka says uh, the pas would be coming in and uh, signing the script post intra-pandemic and, and post-pandemic um they coming through as as a request a prescription request and that's a lot less of an interruption to to the to the to the partner who's signing off the prescription but more than that, it has it has improved our prescription governance now because that by and large all prescription well all PA prescriptions are checked off by two clinicians, and the more you think about it, the more you realise how potentially unsafe it is that a prescription is only signed off by one individual. Not in hospital does that happen. Um, so in primary care, it's not a bad thing that the, the prescription is initially put on by the PA uh, and then it's signed off and there's an opportunity to go back and say, uh, you know, is that the right drug? Is that the right dose? Although one has to say that happens extremely rarely. But just the principle of having a double check on a prescription is, is absolutely fine. And we're very happy with that. In terms of CPD activities and appraisals and what works well doing that kind of stuff. So with regards to CPD and things, well, we all have protected hours um, and we all have admin time where, where necessary, you take it and you do your CPD. We're also very, um, the partners are very relaxed with us. When I say relaxed, they're very helpful in the sense that if we would like to go on a course, we just have to tell them, give them enough notice so we don't have a clinic book and we can go on the course and we can do the CPD um, hours. It's really important to start your CPD early. So you're not rushing it right at the end. Um, <laughs> it's such a big deal. Um, but last year was quite difficult because of COVID. And in terms of appraisals, is there something? We have yearly appraisals. 
when we get together with Mark usually to discuss how our year has gone um was it how we expected and it's not just on a it's on a work level and also um like see how we are personally um how our interactions are with colleagues um any problems we've had what we like most about the job what we dislike most of our jobs so just covering things that I think are quite important that if are not addressed early could cause problems in the future or lead to burnout or just frustration and just being unhappy with the job and um, yeah so we all have yearly appraisals without fail and um, we discuss targets we make targets for the following year um yeah Mark are those appraisals very similar to what your GP colleagues would recognize for the for their own style of appraisal or is it a different approach that you take uh, I think they are more focused, shorter, and practical. They're really geared towards establishing if the PA is is happy uh, in in their work, if they're content, if they're unsettled uh, with any aspects of their work. It's it's much better for us uh, as the partners to know this rather than for such feelings to fester. Um, and to to see if, if everything is going well, to see whether there may be an opportunity to expand skill sets, and if so, some ideas about where where that could go, or just to have a discussion about where that might go. Um, there's, there's no requirement in the appraisal to to review uh, courses attended, certificates achieved. That's that's not really the purpose. I think PAs have a, a much more formal and structured program for that um, with the requirement and then the exam every five years, uh, which, you know, doctors don't, don't have to do, uh, but PAs do have to do. Uh, and I think that's, you know, although it's very difficult, <laughs> I would imagine, for PAs having to sit an exam uh, like that throughout their career, there's, there's no doubt to the outsider, like, like me, it, it gives a quality assurance that uh, standards and knowledge and modernity will be maintained. So in light of that, I, I, I don't see it as, as our role to, to look into that. I mean, there's also an informal, I suppose, evaluation of people's clinical ability as we go along um, by way of looking at consultations, how cases are managed, um, questions that are brought to tutorials and that sort of thing. But no, I'd say the appraisal is more of a supportive process um, on a one-to-one level. Um, I think it's really important that peers are given the opportunity to um, pick an interest and focus on their interests. Um, I feel with the GMC registration hopefully coming around the corner, um, hopefully things will widen up for PAs. Um, I'm not sure how much of a ceiling there is. Obviously, we've always been told from the beginning of becoming a PA that there's potentially a ceiling because we don't know where we're going or how far we can go. Um, So it's difficult for me to see where we're going, but I think we're going in the right direction and it will get better and we will get more acknowledgement for our hard work and how we help in primary care and secondary care. Um, And I think we'll become more appreciated. Um, I feel like when more practices and hospitals um, begin to employ PAs because obviously we're churning out quite a few PAs through the universities more universities are being added to the list every year Um, I feel like there will be a greater appreciation for PAs. Yinka and Mark thanks so much for joining me on the podcast perhaps people may have listened to this episode and learnt 
quite a lot from what we've been discussing, or it may have fired questions in their minds. Would it be okay if anybody's got questions for them to be in contact with you? Yes, that's absolutely fine. Sure. Thanks. And I'll leave your contact details in the episode notes on this episode so people can find it on their devices there. And thanks to you for listening as well. I hope you enjoyed that episode. We're on social media at the PA Podcast UK on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And I hope you'll join me again for the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Precision Associate Podcast.